All right, so today's message is going to be about prayer. And I'm going to start with why pray. Now, most people will come in and give you a plethora of reasons why to pray and then work through are those good reasons or are those bad reasons. So one is the benefits to you. So the secular world will already say that there's a lot of health benefits. Some will say, oh, but God listens and he wants to hear what you have to say. And so you pray for the things that you want. It could be health, more money, uh, promotion. Um, you pray for your kids. And all those things are considered to be in the scope of the benefits of praying. Now, some will then articulate, kind of like in this sermon, uh, that that's very selfish, which it is. Um, that kind of prayer is, what is it that prayer does for me? And that's a totally reasonable, natural, human, but flawed perspective of prayer. Now, that doesn't mean it's bad to do those things. I think we're just starting from the wrong place. Right? When we're talking about why and we end up in that place, there's something that has gone wrong upstream. And I've talked at length about the way that the prosperity gospel has entered many churches, including elderships and pastors, and that really impacts sort of all the downstream teaching and preaching. But we won't get off track on that. That's a separate teaching and, you know, go down and find out more about that for you, for your church in the comments below. But if you want to then go on to the next phase, people will often say, well, prayer isn't really so much about, you know, uh, the actual prayer and what you're asking for. It's about how prayer changes you. Right? They start with the presupposition, well, prayer doesn't change God, which should be a given, but it makes for a nice balance. Prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes you. Now, the first premise might, might be there, that if we pray, we change, change God. But we can see that that's sort of flawed in the light of his sovereignty, and we want him to do something on our behalf. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, again. But I think, think the emphasis is the wrong place, which means the upstream up suppositions are flawed, and so the downstream ones are probably contaminated. And I think that's the case in this case. So then what is it? How, how can we actually take a look at the nature of prayer and why should we do this? And like with most things that I believe when I look at Scripture— we do it backwards when we talk about the things we're supposed to do. Like this premise, the sermon, is starting with the premise, this is what you need to do. And to me, once you get there, you're already in the law. And it's, the, it's backwards. The entire Bible doesn't start that way. And I'll show you in a very small example. And once you see this, you'll see this everywhere. It doesn't start there. You have to start with why. And the why isn't what happens to us. It isn't what God does for us as a result of us asking. The purpose of prayer must begin with who God is. And so often in the fallen church, we forget that. Let's go and see how first Jesus teaches prayer. He says, let's use Matthew 6. 
So this is this is NIV, but all right, we'll just use this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We start off that God is already in heaven, and there's a huge connotation of what that means to be in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Like to me, that centers everything, all the problems of humanity and all the reasons we need God and all of what heaven will look like. If we turn to Revelations, we'll see that it is about people surrounding him and saying, holy, holy, holy. That is the part that's most important, not generous, 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 giver, 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 uh, creator of things for me. It is his holiness, and that is very much lost in almost all of these connotations of what is prayer. It starts with in heaven and the holiness. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we're teaching prayer or praying, I do it with my kids, and it is hard. It's hard for adults. But I focus on them asking, what is that kingdom? And let it be revealed. Let it be revealed that such that which is a way of your will be done. So we always start with holiness. And, and when we start that conversation as we pray, it centers us to reflect back, we are not. And you'll see how it gets there. But we start, everything here is started with who is the nature of God? It is holy. He is heaven, which means he's the ruler of all that is and to become. It is a kingdom, and we are to submit to that will. And so the prayer is about submitting to that will. And I've seen and heard leaders and elders who it's their will above God's will in Scripture in the midst of prayer. And that should scare you if you're listening to that. But it just gets just painted over it is just painted over then it becomes give us today our daily bread and so when I talked with this elder and he was just prayer and the promises is about um, promotions and salary and comfort and there is nothing in it it is give us today our daily bread and we have gone awry and then it is forgive us of our debts, our sins, our sins. And then it's about us to change us. And this is a hard part, and I do this with my children, as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us. And you can just spend a ton of time in prayer asking for God to help us to do this. What's amazing about this is he presumes we, that we will do this. But we're also praying to forgive us of our debts, even though it's already been a one and done. That prayer is still there. And then it goes back into the rest of it. The Asan temptation delivers from the evil one. But my, my purpose of us pointing this is what comes first? The why is not answered by what? The why is answered by who? And very often that who is missing or it is distorted as I described in this prosperity thread. Now the second 
thing where we can say, well, what is prayer? Is let, let's start examining Jesus himself in prayer. And is there some consistency in that? So we can look at the Garden of Gethsemane, which I think is perhaps a prayer that we can often most look to when we're praying our own. And he says in Matthew, uh, was it 26, somewhere, 2639, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So he precedes it, my father. And here he is asking for something, but he's not asking for a promotion or comfort or better life. He's asking something that's totally reasonable and we forget it is that cup. What is that cup? We can talk about that. But the short answer will be there is a cup that is representing the wrath of God to take it from him. If it is possible, if it is all possible, and we know it's a sort of possible, but it's also not possible. And there's, there's a whole thread that we can go into just that. But the important thing here is then he comes in and says, but it's not my will, but it is your will. But the power of this phrase is it's not just saying it's my father, but it is pouring into it <laughs> not just who God is, but who Jesus is. And, and that is the part which we're often missing the dangers of deism is akin, it's the brother to the prosperity gospel, which is an amorphous, all-powerful God for us. But our prayers are to a God who sent Jesus and is also Jesus, who has and drank from the cup of the wrath of God. That is whom we pray to. What is another prayer that Jesus does? Well, there's some that aren't so much about him, but they reveal who he is. And that comes from John 17. And he goes, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So this is a prayer. And I don't know, some will read it and, and, and say, well, okay, this is a context of him praying for, for unity. But notice how it's primarily centered on the nature of God and Jesus as one with the Father in him. And in some ways, that is also up to be mimicked by us. Part of that will on earth is to recognize the indwelling of us, of God through the Holy Spirit, and to ask what is that and the will be done. And that also is not easy. And that also is the prayer that I have with my kids and they're, they're tuned out. Because I tune out too. It's I pray. What is the Holy Spirit asking for each day by day? And may I yield to that. But the prayer again here seems to be beseeching as we do. But it's actually asking the who. It's more about the who than the what? It is the one, Father, just as you are in me 
and I am in you. I think um, the last one that we can take a look at, which I think is is the one that seems to be the exception which proves the rule. It's a prayer which I, I don't even know how we can implement it by saying, oh, well, you know, let's, what would Jesus do? Let's, let's follow him, is the prayer in Luke 23. And it is him on the cross. And there's a couple of, of, of prayers or moments, but I'm just going to pick out this, this one. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That was his prayer. And the reason why it's sort of the exception that proves the rule is it sounds like it's starting with the beseeching, although it is a father. And he's, he's, but, but it's meta. He is seriously describing himself. And we forget that in our own prayers. How can we be praying for the things that we typically do, which again, aren't bad in this broader context, if after going through all this, you're like, hey, I need this promotion because my hedge fund partnership is up and I got to get this you know, thing, then that's fine. You can do that. But Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing is his prayer, which has its Father. This is who I am. Right? He is asking for this forgiveness, even though, even though, even though his act on the cross is the forgiveness he's begging for. It's just, to me, it's very meta. They do not know what they're doing. Well, what is it they're doing? What are they doing? Well, they're killing him. They are insulting him. They are degrading him. They are turning their backs upon him. And that is us. And so to me, that is his prayer. And to me, when I read that, that is a simple prayer, which puts first the who. It is Father. It's a gift forgiving Father. And you may say, oh, but it's primarily about the what. It's for forgiveness, and they don't know what they're doing. But look more deeply at it. That entire sentence is more about who than the what. Because the what is something that nobody else can do, and it defines for those who follow Jesus, why we follow him. We follow because it is that forgiveness. And the forgiveness was possible only through the cross, despite the fact that we, like those who killed him, did not know in the blindness of sin what they were doing to the one who came to relieve us of our own depravity. To me, that is a prayer when we see it is not one we can implement in that same way because we're not Jesus. But we can pray in a sense of recommitting, restating, reaffirming who he is based on what he did. From there, prayer flows. There is much in there that we can then say, well, if he can ask for forgiveness and mercy, despite our depravity, sh shouldn't that also be 
something that we start prayer with. It's so much different when we start with the who to answer the why than by answering the why with the what. So keep that in mind. Listen very carefully to all your teachings because in the Bible, it starts with the relationship of who God is and that includes the Old Testament and the New Testament. And from that comes our what's. You start with the what's, then you're just going by the law. And Jesus freed us from the law. All right, uh, that's our quick response to prayer, uh, to pro- response to the sermon series, and uh, just sort of a standalone on why do we pray. Till next time, see ya.